Hello, my name is Andreas Zick. I am the scientific director of the Institute for Interdisciplinary Research and Conflict and Violence at Bielefeld University. So we have to include the academic voices of people from diverse societies with our own institute. I know that there are challenges for minorities, but the best thing is to really make them visible and hearable. So we need to listen to voices of researchers who think they are representing a minority perspective. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Researching Diversity podcast. I'm Zeynep Demir, a researcher and lecturer at Bielefeld University. Hi, everyone. My name is Tuca Aral. I'm a PhD student and a research associate in the Inclusive Education Department at the University of Potsdam. Today, Tuca and I have Professor Dr. Andreas Zick as our guest, the director of the Institute for Interdisciplinary Research on Conflict and Violence at Bielefeld University. As a social psychologist, he focuses on the issues of group conflict and violence, extremism, prejudice and racism. In this episode, we talk about challenges for young researchers, especially young researchers of minority groups and also about conflict issues. Andreas talks about how he became a researcher, studying social psychology and working as a research associate for the first cross-European survey on prejudice and racism against minority increased his interests for his research topics on prejudices and racism. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you will too. Have fun with listening and don't forget to take a look at our homepage at the end with lots of interesting inputs. Welcome, Andreas Zick, and thanks for being here. Yeah, hello, Tukce, and hello, Zeynep. I have to say, it's a real great honor. We are very, very happy to have you as a guest for this session. As in every episode, we would like to start talking about the past. As you know, you have a very important areas of research, such as prejudice and racism, extremism. I would like to ask you for the beginning, why did you become interested in these topics? Oh, that's a good question. Sometimes people think that I'm interested in prejudice and racism because I'm prejudiced and racist. People think that because I studied psychology. So normally people think that those people who study psychology have some psychological problems. So I really sometimes hear this argument. No, it was a bit by accident and a bit by not accident. In 1988, in 1988, I was working as a student assistant for Professor Dr. Ulrich Wagner, who is at Philips University of Marburg. He was my supervisor of the PhD as well. But in 1988, I worked as a student assistant, studentische Hilfskraft in the Department of Social Psychology at University of Bochum. And he asked me if I'm interested in a research request from the United States. And it was on prejudices and racism. And during that time, I also studied theology, yeah, religious mm. science. And I studied psychology and I was in social psychology. Prejudice, racism, stereotypes are core elements of social psychology. You don't find any human community without prejudices. So what he did is he asked me, he had a request from James Jackson from the United States. He now received, I think, the Kurt Levin Prize in psychology last week. And James Jackson received a grant in the United States 
to run a cross-cultural survey study in the United States and in some selected European countries. And he knew, Ulrich Wagner, he knew what we were doing in social psychology, studying intergroup differentiation processes. He knew Tom Pettigrew. Tom Pettigrew, U.S., American social psychologist, super famous. He is the follower of Gordon Allport in prejudice research. Mm -hmm. And he, during that time, stayed in Amsterdam. So he had access to Bochum, Germany, to Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And then he had contact to France. And he had the money and the idea to run a survey, a representative survey in European countries, select it, compare it with the United States. So it was an interest of the United States to compare racism mm. against minorities with European countries. This was in 1986, and then we developed this survey and we run this survey in 1988, and it was the first cross-European survey in Europe on prejudices and racism against minorities. I say that because this meant that in the late 80s, we didn't have any cross-cultural data on prejudices Because there was not a very big interest in prejudices and racism in Europe. When I started late 80s, it was the time when we started to run this research on prejudice. Everyone told us, oh, don't do this research on prejudice. It's not so very important. If you want to make a career, don't work on prejudice and discrimination. This is something which is applied, so which is for practical reasons. So if there's racism, yeah, you have to fight it. It was very new. And uh, people told me not to do this research if you want to do an academic career in psychology. Then you run studies on different uh, issues. But this was the time. Uh, and then I said, yes, it's super interesting. And I want to become a member of this team as a student, Studential Hilfskraft. So, yeah, we should invest into it. Then we had contact. And then I was responsible in this project for computing the data. Computing the data means we received the data. It came in on a magnet type. We didn't have any computers to analyze this huge big data from the countries representative in all these different countries. There's huge data set on a magnet tape, and I was responsible for computing the data and do all these methods. So I analyzed the data and the different PIs, John Pettigrew, Royal Merz, James Jackson, Ulrich Wagner, they were quite a bit dependent on me because I had access to the magnet type. It was different. No personal computer, no way to compute the data on your computer. Uh, yeah, I was sitting in a room and then we started to uh, do this cross-cultural comparisons. We went to the United States, we discussed it and this study became quite important because in this study, since we compared the U.S. results with the European data, Tom Pettigrew, Roy Mertens, and us in, in Bochum, we developed this difference between subtle and blatant prejudices, which became quite a very well-known concept then in the 1990s. So within the data we saw in Europe, there are different ways to express prejudice. But it's not the same like the racism in the United States. So we could not transfer the racism concept from the United States to the European context. But in the European context, we could develop this concept, this difference between latent and subtle prejudices. So this is when I became a researcher. Oh, that's um, yeah, very, very interesting. Good that you have followed your own interest and didn't hurt to all the suggestions that you 
did it do research on racism? So I would say the question why you become interested in these topics and a researcher is we have a good overview so about your academic journey. I would like to ask you, you work on diverse topics that are very socially charged and socially loaded. Which challenges did you encounter on the way of becoming a researcher? So we know why you are a researcher, what is the academic journey, and which challenges had you on your way of becoming a researcher? The biggest challenge is to get a position in research. And this is not different from today. So, uh, yes, I knew that I was highly identified and committed with research. So I studied theology, which was beautiful. It was really great. And we are sitting in seminars on ethics and dogmatics. And I was involved in philosophical discourses. So it was very great. But I thought I want to become a researcher in the sense of natural science. So having theories and testing them against the empirical reality. So the biggest challenge is always to get a position because to be in research means you have a position in the structure and this is a very a strange a very hard world the science because in germany you have to get a contract then you have to do your phd so and you have to do it and then there's absolutely no guarantee with each contract there's no guarantee that you can follow your career so it is strange but the biggest challenge is to keep your interest against This bit competitive world, but also against the world of insecurity, to live in absolutely insecure realities from the economic side of view, which is really hard. So, and, and it's the biggest challenge because in the academic field of the universities, there is a clear way of an academic career. In Germany, it is you do your master's. In my time, it was a diploma. Then you say, okay, I want to stay. Then you are doing your PhD. Then you have to concentrate on this because if you apply later for an academic position, the time you spend on your PhD counts. So don't work for 10 years, but try to do it in a fast way. And after your PhD, you have to decide to keep on the academic career, which means can you imagine and can you get a commitment to become a professor? And normally people doing their PhD would never say, oh, yes, I become a professor. I knew some of my colleagues who always believed that they will become a professor, but they came from families who were of professors. So there was like, but it's a risk. But this is only from the resource side. I think the biggest challenge is this insecurity in the structures, but also as a scientist in human and social sciences doing research on societal problems like we are doing on conflict between groups, violence between groups, extremism between groups. So on severe negative phenomena. So talking about violence, prejudice, racism, these are negative phenomena. And it's not easy to do research on phenomena. Most people want to talk about it. Most people don't want to address and which are part of the societal reality. So yeah, people have a lot of interest on racism. People like to discuss racism. People like to discuss violence. But listening to researchers and supporting this kind of research, listening to it, is different. It's absolutely different. Yeah, we all like crime stories. But when we need time and support to do our studies on why people radicalize into severe violence and want to kill others, 
because of their ideology, then it's a hard field to make a career in this kind of field. So it's not easy. And I think the other challenges of researchers is to find the commitment. You always think, am I really a researcher or not? So there are no clear answers. In research, when you do, when you are in research, you never get an absolute clear answer that you are good or bad or it's enough. It's a career where you have to find your own identity and your commitment. And it's a very, very individualized career to some extent, although we are working in groups and teams, but uh, there are high individual challenges and there are a lot of insecurities. But on the other hand, and this is what I always say, is compared to other jobs and to other possible ways to find a way in society, it's an absolutely interesting and free sphere. So whenever I face challenges, my contract was ending, people told me that my publications are not good enough, rejection of publications. We are in a world of competitive reviewing. So this is a big challenge, yes. To get in your first peer-reviewed paper is more frustrating. Yeah, it's challenging, but it's frustrating because normally it's rejected. Your grant applications are rejected. So you are always in a competition. And in psychology, it's highly competitive. Sometimes you have competition without any reason. So super competitive. Psychologists are super competitive because I don't know why. Yeah, because they want to have a guarantee for any kind of risk. So yeah, they need to be super, 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 super sure because before they upgrade or devalue someone. But anyway, the challenge is to really take the freedom and organize yourself, your field where you want to do your exploration, to find your research issue where you are sure this is me. This is where I want to know why things are as they are. Yes, thank you. You talked about um, yeah, really big challenges on a structural way, on an individual way. I have a last question for the past session. You are the director of an institute for interdisciplinary research on conflict and violence. We have a lot of young researchers working in this institute, including me, including young researchers also who are migrants, researchers of color. What advice would you give to other junior researchers, especially maybe for junior researchers of color? My most interesting advice is if you perceive prejudices or racism against you because you are of color. Don't take it home. Look for a trusted person and speak about it. Because in an academic work field, we should be able to cope with this problem. For me, color doesn't matter, should not matter. For me, it should not matter where people are from. I invite a lot of people from people like Zeynep and a lot of people I I really tried to open in the last year, I tried to open the institute, make it more diverse, make it more become colored, make it more international. So we have not been in this institute 10 years before. So we were more white, more homogeneous, which is pretty good because you are homogeneous. Yeah? Homogeneity sometimes is easier than uh, diversity because now in my institute, everyone has to speak English including me with my limited vocabulary. It's really hard. It's really hard. Even my administration has to do it. Even the secretaries have to speak English. So it's a challenge, especially for them. So, But I was pretty sure that we cannot do so many research on minorities without helping minorities. And I speak about minorities not only as an oppressed group, but groups who do have a perspective I don't have. So we have to include the academic voices of people from diverse societies with our own institute. 
But in Germany, it's hard. I know, uh, like, uh, we are an uh, institute of the university. So from the researchers who are running their PhD and want to make their PhD and finish the PhD, the next question is, can they become a professor? If I think people can become a professor, I should try to keep them. And you don't have to become a professor. But after your PhD, people like me, who are professors, think about, oh, what's the next step in this career? You can do a lot with your PhD. But if you want to stay in the university in Germany, then you have additional six years and we expect you to become a professor. And this is hard. It's still hard in Germany. For me, it's too hard. Like if you don't speak fluently German to become a professor in Germany is still hard. We don't have very good facts on that. I would like to have a study. And even that we don't have a study on how diversity works, even in academic settings, I have a doubt that it's easy. So you need very good networks and you need very good support. And you need to talk about the problems you face as being a member of the diverse group. So not white, not homogeneous. But it's the same with gender. It's anyway very often an intersectional problem. So if you are in academics and if you perceive there are some stereotypes, whether it's against being a woman, whether it's against being a stranger in this German academic context, you have to address the issue. But the good thing is that in research, in really in asking a research question, your own category membership shouldn't matter. It can matter when you address it. Like, for example, now when we are doing research on anti-Semitism, yeah, for sure, now more and more in research, we think about participative research when we do a study on anti-Muslim sentiments, on prejudices, racism against Muslims. It's an issue in Germany. So more and more we think, what does it mean that the researchers themselves might be Muslim or Jewish? Or if we study sexism, what does it mean that sexism against uh, women What does it mean that we as a researcher might fall into one or that gender category more and more? But from a research side of view, we can make it explicit. We can make it to become a research issue. And then we can talk about participative research. This is the next challenge. And researchers coming from minorities face, I think, more challenges. I talked about this insecurity being in an academic field. So I'm now talking to you to two young women doing their PhD. And I, I have an idea that they very often think, no, it's not enough. No, it's not good enough. No, my research, my PhD. So you, you have two sides. As a researcher, you have two sides. You believe that you are doing the best research in the world. This is motivating you. So if this research is published, the world will change. And on the other hand, in everyday life, you, you think, oh, no, Because you don't get recognition for everything. You need more recognition. So you present your research to people and then we are in social sciences and human sciences and you get a lot of criticism. You get more criticism than anything else. Because we think from a Popperian view of research, so critical rationalism. So criticize, criticize, criticize. And as long as you survive, your research is not But this is maybe harder for minorities. So even in my institute, I'm honest. Now I have a lot of people representing minorities. We don't really check who is from where, but we, for example, have a group of people, scholars at risk. 
and they are outing themselves to be scholars at risk. So I have to take care and attention to this voices of scholars at risk. And I know that in our everyday life and academics, even these categories can influence our communication. So people might think, are they positively discriminated or not? What does it mean that this institute in Germany is opening so much and international? So I think that I know that there are challenges for minorities, but the best thing is to really make them visible and hearable. So we need to listen to voices of researchers who are at risk, to voices of researchers who think they are representing a minority perspective. And let's make it an issue. What I've learned after many, many years, so I'm, I'm really for a long while in, in research, since 88, now in Germany, the last two years in this pandemic, with the really huge protests worldwide against racism, I think the historical change really came with the uh, murder of George Floyd because it motivated so many people around the world to shout up, to be loud, especially young people. And to say to the majority, in your society, there is more racism than you think. And it influenced also universities. It influenced the academic field. It made post-colonial perspectives more visible, critical racism studies more visible, blah, blah, blah. But I think it made clear that in every system, in every little system, in every small system in the society, including universities, including the academic institutions, we have to be careful of stereotypes, prejudices, and racism. Thank you. And you need to address it. And you need to find a way to create your trusted space when you can address these issues. And we should be competent. We should be competent because it's one of the highest ethics that uh, in research that we don't believe in race. We, it has nothing to do with belief or not belief. It's simply not a category. So when it becomes a category, it is a problem. So anyway. Thank you, Andreas. So also for your very wonderful suggestions for ethnic minority students and PhD candidates like me, I really appreciate your perspective. I really appreciate also the It's like what you're doing in the podcast. You are creating a space of people who listen to other voices because I think implicitly you believe that it's time to make voices more explicit, voices who face such problems. Because I, I've never been asked as a scientist For me, it's the first time that I have been asked, what can I say on researchers being in academics who are of color, who belong to a minority towards which societies have some kind of reservoir of stereotypes, prejudice, etc. It's a big issue. Zeynep, you know that we in Bielefeld, I don't know, five years ago, four years ago, we had Nazis in our universities. So we had National Socialists in our university that were sitting in our lectures. And the university, we were, um, yeah, we were shocked that this very openly, we had students outing themselves to be Nazis in this Bielefeld University, which was established in 69, who always had was a very clear campus without police on the campus, without security on the campus, an open-minded space uh, with heavy political debates, but not ideological movements. And then we started this campaign. And for us, it was very clear that Nazis is one of the problems. 
And maybe it's easier to fight or to cope with the problem of visible Nazis. But we're absolutely clear that as soon as we address these issues, more and more students from minorities will ask, and what about prejudices? What about racism? What about all these phenomena which are represented by Nazis, but which are part of this center of society? Thank you. So and this was an interesting campaign what we did. So what we did is we uh, offered a space, we defined a certain space where people who are interested in this issue of prejudice and racism on the campus, where they could network and work together. And sometimes you have to fight for your space. And in my institute, I always think about, do we need a certain space for discussing the issues and so on. Thank you so much. I think that's a very interesting topic that you brought up. What happened in the campus, it's very difficult to face with. And I think one important aspect of it that institutions should take some steps to prevent extremism. But it's again, it's very, it should be open for political, heavy political discussions. And how yeah, sure. this is important for our society to develop and get in a better position. But uh, very hard to tackle all this extremism and political discussions. It's very hard. It's, it's yeah. a conflict. When you address these issues you are addressing in your diversity podcast, these are conflictual issues. Definitely. Diversity is nice. We all like it. But we don't work with concepts like economics. If I'm in a company, yeah, for sure, it's easy to implement diversity. Why? Because companies have less problems because it's a top-down process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a process the management can initiate because companies might think that diversity is good for the economic survival. But in societies and in institutions where diversity has never been addressed, it's a conflict. It's an issue of conflict. Definitely. It's an issue. What does it mean, an issue of conflict? It's an issue of where you face conflicts between on identities, even between minorities. So in the university, what does it mean if we have a network of Muslim students in the university? You have to face with the concept, with the problem that some other minorities will show up. And if you talk on racism, it's a conflict issue. If you, even if in Germany you talk on anti-black racism, what do you have? Heavy societal debates where racism starts, where racism is ending, and it's conflict on who is the offender and who is the target. And the same with diversity. But on the other hand, and this is why we are investing into it, we hope that especially in academics, we can have conflicts on these issues like diversity, but we all have one consensus. And this is we believe in a constructive way to regulate these conflicts. So yes, yes. we talk about racism institutions. Yes, we will see there are some racists. Yes, we will see there are some blind spots where we never looked at. But we still believe that there is a constructive way to get rid of it. And this is the same with diversity. And yes. but on the other hand, there's absolutely no alternative. Because if you live in a diverse society, so even in academics, we need to find a concept for promoting this diversity. In economics, you always have a good argument. You're thinking about the rationale, so the costs and the benefits. But in academics, diversity means for me much more than speaking about color and speaking about ethnic and cultural differences. In Bielefeld, we are working on this concept of group-focused enmity, which is a concept of studying prejudices, various prejudices. And we always had the argument that the diversity is much bigger than you think. 
So what about poor people in our academic fields? Normally, you have people with ethnic cultural markers, with gender markers, but poverty also matters quite a lot. And the concept of diversity is quite nice because it's a maximum of openness to talk about differences and to have an eye and to listen to problems groups have by being diverse to what is the so-called majority. And this is super interesting. Yes, definitely. A lot of variety. I mean, diversity, the word diversity includes a lot of variety inside, as you said, gender, sexual orientation, ethnic background, and also socioeconomic status, It's which is very visible in Germany. When in the classrooms, when we talk with students, they always bring up this issue of socioeconomic status. Yeah. This Arbeiter class or this Armut, you know, these words that are very visible in this society. This brings us to our next section, the present. For this section, we asked you to select one article, textbook that you believe that is a cutting edge or uh, which has been inspired you or which has influenced you personally or professionally. I'm hoping there's one paper that you would like to talk to highlight and honor another colleague's work. Yeah, this was a huge challenge. <laughs> Yeah, because why? I made my career in, in social psychology, in psychology. Yeah, and in psychology, we now are publishing 10,000 papers per day. Yes. Yeah. So what is the paper which really motivated me to think about different about the world? So when I think about a paper, it should change my view. This is what we are want as researchers. We want to understand the world. And we have a lot of papers where I think, yeah, okay, new it all. This is always the effect of new it all along. So my paper, which really changed my thinking about societies and what is relevant in societies, is maybe I have two papers. The first paper is the original paper from Henry Taschel and John Turner. They, in 1979 and in 1986, they published a chapter in books. So it's not a paper, but it's a chapter in, in a book where they developed what we call the theory of social identity. And in the theory of social identity, they developed a theory which tries to explain why people, individuals, reject other groups, derogate other groups. What is the motive between behind prejudices, racism, and behind differentiations between groups? So in every society of group conflicts, how to explain this? And in this chapter, it was first published in 1979 and Yeah, I think I had this chapter in 86. It was a bit revised in another book. In this book, they confronted the mainstream thinking about intergroup conflicts, groups, conflict between groups and society. Because in former times, the main theory was in societies, groups are the Developing because they have similar interests. They have similar interests on resources. They have similar ideologies, similar attitudes. So in societies... There are all, a lot of homogeneous groups, Turkish communities in Germany, because they have similar interests. They come from Turkey, Muslim. And the similarity is the main principle. And to devalue others who are not similar is increasing my image of similarity. You have conflicts between political parties because they share similar ideology. And this is not similar to other ideologies. And this difference increased similarity and special and Turner and this paper, and we all had to read it from the morning till the evening in the theory, 
they argued that similarity is not the relevant thing because groups create similarity. We think we as Germans have similar attitudes as maybe white Germans. We think we have similar attitudes. It's a creation of groups. So what matters is the social identification with groups. And this social identification with groups creates all these different conflicts between groups. So as soon as people identify with groups, the group can become part of my personality and my identity. And this is a critical European idea, and it was developed by Henry Taschwell, who was a Polish researcher who survived the Second World War and had to flee from Poland to the UK. Unfortunately, now we all know that even he has some kind of a sexist biography, which is another historical issue, but in his theory... And this is the second paper he wrote, an essay for minorities, which is called The Psychology of Minorities. It's a paper about the thinking and the status of minorities and why minorities, some minorities run into conflicts in societies and some minorities have to cope with majorities, so on domination and oppression and power. And this psychology of minorities, together with this paper, the theory of uh, social identity, This was the paper which really changed our way of thinking about conflicts between groups and were super influential. Now we are, as, as I don't know any social psychologist who doesn't know the theory. I don't know if they all read the original paper, but it's there was one, one paper and you read it and then you think, oh, okay, I really have to think about it because it's It's against what I what I thought why conflicts in societies appear. Yes, I think I did my master's in social psychology, so it was more like focused on social psychology. So this paper is very key to all of our master level classes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I wouldn't say that this is a unique paper. So uh, if mm -hmm. I would have enough time, I think there are many, many, many interesting and 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 really. Yeah, papers or books which change your view of the world. And this is what everyone can think about it. So, for example, a bit later, I studied in my diploma, which is now the master. But my diploma thesis was, I think, around 500 pages. And I wrote my diploma thesis about the concept of ideology. So what, that's what I missed in social psychology. Social psychology was without ideology. They had a very loose concept of ideology. Social psychologists, sometimes really they have very vague concepts of society. So they use the concept of ideology like attitude. And I said, no, ideology is much more because ideologies can change the world. And I started to work on ideologies and how groups can How people in groups can adopt an ideology against any kind of fact, any kind of reality. And they stop testing the reality because it's a group phenomenon. And there I start to read uh, Leo Löwenthal and Norbert Guttermann, Agitation und Ohnmacht, which came from the Frankfurt School. Uh, the Frankfurt School was the first institute for social sciences, which was closed by the Nazis in Frankfurt. So they all had to leave the country. And the most uh, important person was Theodor Adorno, but also Max Horkheimer. They, they went to the United States and began their studies on the authoritarian personality. But I was not never interested in personalities. I, I'm not interested in single individuals. So, But there I looked to the studies. Why can people become faceless? Why can people believe in national socialism? So why can people believe in an ideology and feel legitimated to kill people, to kill groups, to murder people, to murder groups without any thinking about 
the human nature to without any idea that those they are killing are human beings like me so this was the interest maybe it's because i was born and socialized in the 60s so when i was a young child yeah my my child mind I was my cousin who was very uh, who was a left wing believing in communism so it took us to demonstrations and we were educated in maoism and yeah it's interesting he tried to he tried to convince us but then i was attracted to this book of agitation and what is ohnmacht uh, i lost the english term but it was translated to, into english and two uh, two researchers studying the fascism fascism in in the united states and propaganda mm-hmm. how to make propaganda to continue here right now with the next section and is also the last section from our podcast session the future what changes would you like to see in the upcoming years regarding research on your topic or regarding academia in general what should the future should bring or changes um, regarding these topics which we have talked about like maybe about migration or extremism or radicalization If I have a free wish, yeah, <laughs> I did my habilitation on the phenomena of acculturation. So the phenomena of acculturation very easily defined is acculturation is the process where one group enters a new cultural context, tries to adopt this cultural context, comes into interaction with another group. Let's call them the natives or those who lived there before. And during this interaction context, something is changing. This process of acculturation means from the perspective of minorities to become part of this cultural context, but be aware that this context is changing. So it's not like immigrants coming into a neighborhood and then immigrants from another country, they come to a neighborhood in Germany and they become German neighbors. No, it's the context is changing. And I think the way societies change by coming into contact with other cultural context this is something i am missing so i did my habilitation and it was in 2008 i submitted it in 2008 i was super attracted by this field of research because it opens our research for the question what in the phenomena in the context we are researching is an expression of acculturation processes let's make easy how do societies change taking into perspectives that they are surrounded by other societies. So societal change, but not from within the perspective, but from a global point of view. And this was an issue where I thought it's not addressed. It's very open to a lot of disciplinary uh, approaches. So I read a lot from sociology, from psychology, but from cultural science. So And I also thought that the old disciplinary approach does not work when we want to understand acculturation because of simple reasons. I left this field of research and I went to Bielefeld yeah, because I could become a professor and you wouldn't never say no if they offer you a permanent job as a professor. But now in the societies today, I think that this thinking about the global world and the in the societal change by international exchange between cultures 
how to explain and how to understand this is a super challenging issue. And I can explain it more easily when I move to a field of research where I'm not in climate change. We cannot understand climate change without having an interdisciplinary, global, very sophisticated, broad perspective. But this way of thinking on climate change, and you see now we live in a society where most of the westernized, most of the liberal societies really want to do something yeah, to stop the climate change. I came from a research not on climate change, but on change of culture, from prejudices, from heavy intergroup conflicts. We live in society where the level of violence against groups and people and individuals, whether it is violence against kids, children, violence against women, violence against minorities, violence by ideological reasons, where we have such a high level of violence, which will stop any kind of societal change. And I think we need a new way of thinking beyond disciplines, how we can explain these conflicts within and between societies from a broader perspective. So, and th this is my prospect for the future. So very often I'm super happy to be in Bielefeld in an institute for interdisciplinary research. And my idea was always to be interdisciplinary means, yes, you can have strong disciplines, but the phenomena we are studying are not solvable and not understandable from a single discipline. Every discipline has this view, but... We need to think beyond, beyond the disciplines. This climate change, you can see this now in this very historical moment when societies are in the pandemic states. This pandemia made it super clear that only linking knowledge, linking expertise, linking research, and linking research with society is the most relevant issue. And the same is maybe with climate change. And since this is a historical situation where we should have a break before the next inner societal conflicts are only relevant for us, we have to think how to reorganize the way of doing research. We have the chance of the reorganization of research and we should take it. I think we will not do it because most researchers think I want to have more security. I want to go back to where I'm from. So we always think we go back after the pandemia to the position where we are from. But I hope in a younger generation who will stop going back to the places where we are from. It's an interesting situation. So like in your podcast on diversity, yes, we can talk in an old-fashioned way about diversity. I, I did a lot of studies on diversity. I really like it, diversity, the concept. And there was a time of diversity. But what are these really huge challenges for a lot of societies, how can we link them to this concept of diversity? Do we need new ethics? Do we need new dogmas? Do we need new links between uh, research fields? So diversity is not only a social issue. Diversity is an issue which is linked to economics as well, linked to a new thinking about legal ways, etc., etc., Because even when it comes to diversity, yeah, we have to face the situation that in this pandemia, it made very obvious that we love diversity, but we are not diverse as we thought. Because the pandemia attached people from minorities more than the others. What does it mean now for our thinking about diversity? 
Now we know that diversity is linked more significantly to social inequality than we have expected it. So for the future, you ask me for the future, it's really hard for social scientists to never think about the future because our prognosis are very bad. We can analyze the current situation. We are very good in analyzing the current situation. But if you ask us what will happen, oh, no, 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 no. This is politics. No, I think we need a bit more time to think about what does it mean that we have these global challenges attaching so many societies for our questions, how do societies change? Yes, by economics. No, maybe by climate change, maybe by the pandemia, maybe not by economics, but by social inequality, which is much more than an economic question. And so thinking about the future in this time of a pandemia is really a challenge. It's a big challenge. It was easier before the pandemia. So I think what we need is to think about how do we want to work in the future? How do we want to work together in the future? And this question also bringing it to the field of academia in the same way like before or differently. And how can we organize this? This is something which is, I think, a challenge for the future because our old system doesn't work. We are not prepared for a pandemia and we are not very well prepared for the climate change. And maybe we are not very well prepared for the issues we are studying here in Bielefeld for extremism, terrorism, violence, prejudice and racism. Societies are not very well prepared and even research is not very well prepared. Thank you, Andreas. It was a very huge insight of the challenges. And I realize we have a lot of work to do for right now and also for the future um, on the academic level, but also on the societal level. Yeah. So as a wrap up for this session, the one last question. I know... Um, What am I drinking during this podcast? Yeah, you can. <laughs> I was a, a pot of coffee because it's late and I have to work after this podcast. Yeah, I know you have a 12-hour working day. No, no, no. That's a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> okay. So what is your very last question? I know you have a very busy schedule, like teaching, supervising thesis, managing a lot of projects leading research institute. How do you stay motivated in your work as a researcher? What is your motivation for doing this job? I have no idea because maybe this is more a problem. Maybe I work too much and maybe more uh, I'm a problematic case. And as a psychologist, you know, never ask the victim of something why he or she is a victim. So never do that. So uh, maybe I have a problem because I have only my research and a bit free time I think what's really motivating is that I have so much freedom. I have so much freedom. You can create your own space. Nobody asked me which kind of book I should read, I have to read, etc. pp. Maybe you're doing your PhD time. Yes, then you have to. And if I publish a paper, then I have to. But the field of research is, is a field with a lot of freedom. And I'm coming from a non-academic family. So I know what it means not to be in academia. So it's the freedom we have. And there are many, many, many good things. I get older, but my students never get older. So I always meet young people. So I'm moving into the old future. And my students in my lecture are always the same age, between 19 and 22. You know that as lecturers, you 
get older, but they stay younger. So I'm meeting in my daily life people like you, and we can talk about interesting problems. And no one, absolutely, in that podcast, no one really challenged you to do it. It's your freedom. You took your freedom and we discussed about what is relevant and what is not relevant in society. And this is freedom. And since I'm in a lot of fields outside of academia. So I move into the field of politics, then I move into the cities, into the field where conflicts are. I read interviews uh, on people who are extremists and so on. I, I see pe people who are working in the cities, in the communes, in the small villages, uh, trying to um, fight the problem we are analyzing. I always think it's too much. It's really too much what I'm doing. And I really would like to For me, retirement is not something which is threatening, but it's really a hopeful time. But when I go back to our institute, I always think this is a paradise. We have an island where we talk about things and we have the freedom to think about problems. I have a sister, she's working in a very different field and she always tells me, hey, you are doing fascinating things. I do not understand what you're doing, but you're doing fascinating things. Yeah, that's thank it. Thank you. Anna. That's motivating. <laughs> thank you for joining us today and for helping us increase visibility of outstanding social scientists as yourself. And I'm not outstanding. I'm <laughs> hopefully in instanding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. this is really threatening to be to be outstanding. No. <laughs> outstanding social scientists as yourself from my perspective and from our perspective and of cutting edge research for the audience you can find the book chapters and the papers on our homepage which um, Andreas Zick suggested today thank you for all listening and talk soon check our website researchingdiversity.com to thank minor revisions for the music, Max Kersten for post-production, Lotte Koeman for logo design and Zeynep Alpay for artwork. Make sure to visit our website for bonus materials and to follow us on social media at Researching Diversity Podcast. Stay tuned and talk soon. Thank you.